Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Piccolo. Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. This is Jason Piccolo. My next guest is Jessica Jones Myers. She's an outstanding athlete. I mean, wait till you hear her story. It's crazy. But a little bit about her from her bio. The thought, well, this is it. My triathlon days are over. Has crossed my mind more than once in my 20 years of being a triathlete. The first time was when I went to West Point, knowing that I would now be devoted to the rigorous schedule of balancing academics, military duties, and a member of the cross-country and track team. Yet, when I graduated and took my commission as an engineer officer and posted to Fort Hood, somehow I found myself on a bike again, riding through training sites, passing tanks at lunchtime. Then the deployment orders came down. It was time to go to war in Baghdad. And suddenly... Swim, bike, run didn't seem all that important. Welcome to the show, Jessica Jones-Myers. Hey, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Thanks for showing up. This is really yeah. great. My third guest. So let's uh, talk. <laughs> third time's a charm. It is, it is. <laughs> We're getting this audio down right, too. Okay, good. So, Jessica, tell me about where you grew up. Uh, I grew up in the bustling metropolis of Houston, Texas. Um, I, I was born and raised there, and I, I left at 18 years old to head off to West Point. Hey, let's talk about how, how hard was it to get into West Point? How did that whole process come about? Did you know someone that went there? Uh, strangely enough, yeah, I knew quite a few people because my actually my sister, who's the oldest, there's five kids in my family, my sister is the oldest. She went to Annapolis, and two of my older brothers were at West Point. One graduated right as I was coming in, and actually, my little brother went to West Point, so I didn't know quite a few people. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you legacy. Wow. So yeah. I can imagine the Army Navy game must be really interesting in your house. It is. I, you know, I, I, I could say, oh, you know, no matter how it goes. Everyone, someone wins. Everyone wins in my house. But on the other <laughs> hand, we want to beat Navy. Let, let's just be honest. Hey, I was a, uh, I was an Army guy myself, so we definitely want to beat Navy. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I actually spent some time up at West Point. One of my friends was a class of 1993. Okay. So it worked out really good. Went up there a few times because I grew up in the uh, the area called Blairstown, New Jersey, which is kind of the best. Oh, I know right. Blairstown. I know a guy that <laughs> went to, to Blair Academy. Oh, really cool. Yeah. Actually, I work with a guy who went to Blair Academy. And if anybody knows Blair, San New Jersey, there's like 5,000 people there. So yeah, if you know so anybody, small. that's very small. And we'll Blair Academy to, is a prep school, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to talk offline about it. Yeah, he was actually a classmate of mine at West Point. Oh, really cool. Now, what year did you graduate West Point? Uh, 2000. Oh, really cool. And you um, did you decide that, hey, you know what, I want to join the Army and, and become an engineer? Or did you want to well, do something else? So everyone that uh, goes to West Point commissions as a second lieutenant. So if you're going to West Point, you are going into the Army. So that's kind of a tough decision to make 
17, 18 years old. And then, of course, there are some uh, prep school people go to the prep school or there are some prior enlisted folks that go into West Point. That's a pretty small percentage of the class. Um, so, you know, I think that for me, um, you know, I, I grew up running and I was recruited heavily to a lot of colleges. But being that I had uh, these siblings that were off at the academy and, you know, my, I come from a military family. My dad was a Ford observer in Vietnam and my mom uh, grew up an Air Force brat. Her father was a career pilot. So I think that for me, it kind of took out the mystery of the military for me. So I was probably uh, not quite as uh, intimidated by it. Um, and so I, I think that I just kind of had it in the back of my mind from middle school on that I wanted to be in the military. Um, and so the engineer part came later, I think, while I was at the academy, uh, kind of what branch I wanted to do. Because I really, you know, I don't think you really quite grasped that or I didn't until I got into West Point and in kind of that network no, I agree. I was the same. Well, I was enlisted in the 1990s, and then I commissioned in 99, and I okay. commissioned infantry. In it. <laughs> and, uh, who's going to commission infantry after they know about the Army? I guess I'm those guys. But right, my, totally. my wife actually commissioned as an intel officer in 99, too, so she went on. We were both enlisted in the 90s, and then, bam, here we are, back in the uh, Army days. But, you know, you're probably like the same way I was. This was like pre-9-11, so I mean... It was almost like the 1990s army where you didn't quite have any wars ahead. You didn't really think about it. Then, yeah. bam, all of a sudden 9-11 happens. Yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you know, I, I when I went in, it was 1996. In fact, they were downsizing. Uh, and like I, I think I mentioned, I, I, I was heavily recruited. So I was a big runner. I think in the back of my mind, I thought, I'm going to go into the army and probably I'll be a couple years in and they'll continue downsize and I'll probably end up getting offered early out and I'll do that to pursue uh, my athletic career. You know, um, I, I think that's what I thought being an 18 year old. Uh, and then, and then once I got into West Point, you really like the camaraderie and really the part of being the, of being a part of the big green machine I wanted to be in the army. I wanted to be an officer. I didn't want to, you know, I, that's, that was what I wanted to do. And then you're absolutely right. When nine 11 happened, the op tempo changed literally within hours. I was at Fort hood. Of course it was a Tuesday. We had motor pool day. I was a uh, platoon leader and I'm, uh, I literally, my entire platoon got pulled off our, our operation that we were on because back then Fort Hood was an open post. Anyone could come on. And we yeah, had, you're right. Yeah, we had no security in place for, for Fort Hood. And so we, my platoon literally got pulled to start manning the gate 24-7. And Fort Hood's huge. It's a huge installation. Uh, and, and so, of course, our, our, our uh, operation got put on hold. Um, and we did all the training maps for all of Fort Hood and, and instead, um, we're manning the gates and that went on for months. And so that was a really high stress time. And then again, we didn't know when we'd be deploying. Um, it was kind of like a time I would, I'm sure you can relate to this, that you're just literally on the edge of your seat. You don't know what's going on. 
No, it's exactly right. And, you know, for the audience that doesn't know, Fort Hood is one of the biggest posts in the United States, if not one of the biggest ones in the world. I mean, it's separated by a west side and <laughs> main Fort Hood with right. so many entry and exit points because I was stationed there in the 90s. So, yeah, there was no security. So I can imagine what you're going through. And and I remember I was actually at IOBC, which is Infantry Officer Basic Course, on that Tuesday. And we were all like, wow. Uh, and we were hearing, and you know, the rumor mill was going down. Oh my gosh, Fort Hood was hit. So we thought Fort Hood was hit because it was one of the biggest posts, and you just don't know what's going on. Next thing you know, concertina wires going up, and soldiers mm-hmm. are at the gate. So you know, a lot of the audience, you know, some of us remember the 9/11, and some a lot of a lot of people joined post 9/11. Now you know we're 2019, so you know what you're getting into. So it, yeah. I completely, so my little brother graduated high school in 2002 and he went straight into West Point. So, oh, wow. you know, so for, for that kind of a, we'll call it a generation, cause I can't think of a better word right now. Uh, I, you know, I have so much respect for them because it was a completely different army they were entering than the army we entered. Everything became a lot more focused, a lot more serious. And like I said, in hours, which you can understand. No, and the thing is, a lot of our, like, you know, your 1980s Army and then mid-90s, you had some Desert Storm veterans here and there, but the Vietnam generation was kind of phased out. So you had this whole generation of non-combat proven people out there that all of a sudden, hey, you know what, we're going to war, the gloves are off. And for having the gloves come off, it, that was an incredible, I mean, you, nobody knew what was going to happen back then. So, yeah. And I'm reading on your bio, the next thing you know, you know, you're training for all these, uh, just, you know, we should probably tell the audience a little bit about your running background and how many triathlons you did and everything else before then, how that, how this, the war affected that. Right. So I, I have a, a pretty extensive run background and, um, and the thing about me is I was a distance runner, uh, but you would not look at me, and I'm not um, the typical build of a distance runner that's going to be on the, you know, I, w- I would consider myself elite at a collegiate level, but to be a, be a professional runner, uh, you can look at me and say, that's probably not in the cards for me. Um, I'm definitely built more like a triathlete, which is, I'm really saying, <laughs> trying to put nicely that I'm a, a bit thicker than, <laughs> than uh, you know, a professional runner. Um, and so, uh, and so I had grown up swimming as well. And I actually started triathlons in high school and, um, I had it in my mind that, uh, I, I would one day be a professional triathlete. Cause I do, I do, I'm lucky enough to kind of have this, this background that, you know, not many people swim, bike and run. And, um, especially in the United States, most professional triathletes come from a swim background. So I had, I, I grew up swimming as well, swam in high school. And, um, so, um, so at this point I'm training for triathlon. I actually applied to the Olympic training center and the world-class athlete program in 2002. And I was not accepted. And so I'm, I'm kind of working towards this pro career as a triathlete. Cause that's, you know, that's what I had that I wanted to do when I got out of the military. And so literally, um, you know, my training, of course, took a backseat and then it really took a backseat because we came down on deployment orders. And so we invaded Iraq on March 20th, 2003. And, um, 
And sometime that summer, we came down with orders that we would be the first unit in for OIF-2, Operation Iraqi Freedom-2. Up until this point, I don't think we knew, we being the officers or and the enlisted and the non-commissioned officers, if we were going to be a sustaining force in Iraq. I think a lot of us thought that this would be like uh, Desert Storm, where you get in and get out. So, uh, so when we got those deployment orders, uh, we would be the first unit in for OIF-2. Again, we didn't know how long we were going to be there. Um, and so I deployed January 1st, 2004 and ended up uh, being there in Baghdad 14 months. So uh, you could, I think at that point, it, we realized we collectively, um, being the United States, the military, that we were in it for the long haul. Yeah, the real long haul, because hence, that's when I uh, <laughs> I was actually in IRR, which is Individual Ready Reserves. For anybody that knows, you do a, an initial en uh, enlistment of eight years, but when you commission, you have a lifetime commitment. So I was IRR in 2005. So I was uh, in Kuwait for a couple months, and then I was in Iraq for the remainder. So yeah, I was probably in the tail end of when you left. And still got some bodies over there now. So yeah, it's the never-ending wars. Right, right. Yes, yes. If I don't think anyone, you know, here my little brother is, who's six years younger than me, and he's been to Iraq twice. He's been to Afghanistan. Wow. And, you know, now we've at Fort Bragg, and they're they're going to be deploying again sometime, um, at some time. And if you, I mean, you you have to stop and think that, uh, you know, sometimes I think these guys get forgotten a bit, and uh, it's unfortunate because. It is a huge stress on families, uh, on soldiers and sailors and airmen themselves. So well, it's the whole sphere, yeah. It's the whole sphere of influence around that that soldier, airman, officer, enlisted, whatever. Anybody deploys, it's their family, it's their friends, everybody they leave behind. And a lot of times they do come from the small town America where they're getting affected. But a lot of times it's not in the news anymore. You can hardly ever hear about how many troops are deployed or anything unless someone gets killed. There's never any, you know, hey, we have 2,000 troops in Djibouti. We have 5,000 troops in Afghanistan here and there. You don't hear about right. it anymore. You're, you're absolutely right. And that's why, you know, I like a lot of these movements. Like you have to remember everybody deployed on Friday, wore your red. But at least it kind of a little awareness. And hopefully podcasts like this, we can get some more awareness out there and people like you that can actually speak to it, which is great. Right. And because I think that, you know, and a lot of us go on and we, we were just speaking earlier about our kids. And, you know, the thing is, uh, I, I forget that we're unusual to an extent, being that now I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, and, you know, there's not a lot of I don't come across a lot of people who've been deployed in a combat zone. And uh, that's a huge part of my life that I, I, I'm not at this point regularly reminded of. And yeah, I always, uh, I'm in the same way. It's almost like these phases of your life that you, you know, you kind of forget. I'm like, oh yeah, I did go back to the war back in the day. And then I'm doing this now. It's just different sections of your life. You kind of triage it, you know, you get back from the war uh -huh. and did you have kids right away? No, no, no. So I get back from the war and actually I, I, so I got back and it was at the end of my service time. I actually extended a little bit because I got back and I didn't know what I was going to do. 
I had it in my mind that I would go to grad school, uh, get out and go to grad school and get my MBA. And, or, you know, I kind of still had this dream that maybe I could be a professional triathlete, but I, I had gotten, I had gained so much weight in Iraq, <laughs> gotten so out of shape, but I, I, I seemed to kind of come back pretty quickly. I got myself in, in shape pretty quickly and I went to the armed forces triathlon and I ended up winning. And that year, definitely. Wow. Yeah, so that year, SISM, the, the military world championships, was in the United States. It was at Point Magoo, California. And I ended up coming in eighth, and that was significant because this was the year after the Olympics. And the majority of the European triathletes that are racing are already pro triathletes. Their, their main sponsorship is the military. Um, and this was back then. And so, uh, so a, a large part of that field had raced in the Athens Olympics in 2004. So I ended up exiting the military only to, but right as I exited, I, I applied for the world-class athlete program. I got out and ended up getting accepted. So I actually went back in from IRR status, like you spoke of, uh, and, uh, and went into WCAP and wow. this was now fall of 2005. Um, the following year, I, I, so I ended up meeting, uh, Lucas, uh, my kid's father. We're, we're not together anymore, but luckily we have a really great relationship. And, uh, he was also a WCAP and he had just gotten back from Iraq as well. And we ended up getting married and having twins. So, and this was in 2007. Yeah, and I'm reading your bio, and it, it says it wasn't the easiest pregnancy. I mean, we think we could leave it at that. I mean, <laughs> I could read it and say, wow, you know, you had a difficult pregnancy, six weeks of bed rest, emergency C-section, two preemie baby twins that required around-the-clock feeding. And I can imagine, like, being a – my wife's a runner and active, crazy like that. And when we had the kids, it was just – being able to just, you can't do it anymore. And that's like your life. So I can only imagine like mentally it must've been exhausting as well. It was, it was, it was tough because here I was and I felt like I'd gone through all the hard stuff. I'd gone through a deployment. I'd gone through being in the military. I'd gone through getting ready for a deployment. And, and, you know, this is all very um, difficult things to manage with training. But nothing prepared me for having twins. <laughs> you know, it, this took, it was like, you know what, God, you're making this real tough for me. And, and so I really at that point thought this is done. This is over. There is no way that I'm going to end up ever. You know, I'm, I am a pro triathlete at this point because I've been accepted to WCAP in the Olympic Training mm -hmm. Center. But I thought, okay, well, I got accepted just well, maybe that's good enough. You know, maybe that's where this journey ends because I'm so tired. I'm so chubby. I'm so out of shape. My body has, you know, been torn apart, essentially. And uh, so that's, that's where this ends. And, uh, you know, I think that just like anything, you kind of get your bearings. You start putting one foot in the front of the other and just, I think at that point, I, I started just to kind of begin to have faith and believe in myself again, which is, it's, it's so, 
So that's, I'm proud of my, I, I look back at that time and I'm really proud of myself because uh, that was really difficult. And I was in the midst of, you know, a really difficult time. And uh, it's really hard to keep faith and belief in, in those moments. Now, how do you pull yourself out of that? You know, that's one of the things I want to push out to the audience is like, okay, you're a world-class athlete. How do you go through having twins, kind of losing, not really losing focus, but you don't have the time, you know, you really can't be out there training 24 hours no, a day anymore. Can't. You can't. Right. Now, how do you, how do you go from that to all of a sudden you're, you're back on a, you're getting up back on a podium? Well, uh, number one, I think it's important to have a support network. I have a great friend who's also a veteran, who's also won many Ironmans, who people confuse me with all the time, and her name is Jessica Jacobs. And uh, so she had a baby about a year before me, and not even a year, I don't think. And I remember calling her crying, saying, I can't do this. This is too hard. I don't have time. I'm too tired. Da, 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 da. And she said to me, if you really want it, you'll find the time. And that's 100% true. Uh, I think we can all we can all make excuses, right? But if we really want something, you'll find the time. You'll find a way. I think, it, I think it's really important to focus on milestones, not the end result. Focus on the journey. Focus on the process. I'm a very process-oriented person, which means you get up and it's just one foot in front of the other. And sometimes those are big steps and sometimes they're baby steps. And at that time in my life, it was baby steps. And so if you had, if someone had said to me, Jessica, you're going to go on and you're going to win major races and you're going to have a successful pro career, I would not have believed it. Like I had belief in myself, but I didn't have anything in particular in mind. Does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, reading your bio, I mean, three professional Ironman, 70.3 victories later, multiple Ironman and 70.3 podiums. Now, can you explain to the audience <laughs> what a 70.3 is? Because I, I, everybody that I know of knows what an Ironman is. So okay. if you can kind of just explain so, that, that'd be great. Yeah, so when, there's Ironman distance, which is originally, you know, was originally uh, made, made, is it made or founded? I don't know the correct term, by Navy SEALs. And it's a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and a marathon. The 70 point, that equals 140.6. So that's 140.6 miles. So the 70.3 is the half Ironman distance. So that would be, you know, the 2.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike and half marathon run, 13.1 miles. And that's a, that's a, a, a very competitive distance as well. Um, it's also branded by Ironman. There's also off brands that, that do the distance. Uh, and that's, but typically we call it Ironman and half Ironman or 70.3. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now. Yeah. It's, it's still an amazing, <laughs> that seems like a full Ironman to me, but Hey, I'll take it. 70.3. That's great. <laughs> it, it was, it felt like it to me when I first started. 
Now, the, it also says you were the guy for the Paralympics in Rio. Right. That's correct. That's really cool. Now, one of the things that really impressed me was you, you're one of the, the earlier members of Team Red, White, and Blue. I, that, I Irwin was uh, about a year. I think it was a year or two behind me at West Point. I don't remember. And so this was in 2009, 2010, and he started contacting me, and he said, hey, we're thinking about starting, or I think he might have had uh, started this organization called Team Red, White, and Blue, and he kind of explained it, it to me and that it was uh, going to be a nonprofit geared towards veterans, uh, you know, exiting the military or coming back from deployment to more or less kind of re instill and reinforce that camaraderie that you lose in the military and that um, that to do that through athletics and it and actually I think I remember it was in 2010 he was telling me about this because I was on my way to the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in Clearwater, Florida, and 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 this is when we first spoke about it. And so he asked if I I would come on board, and I think there was probably ten members at that at that at that time. And I I said absolutely. I mean, from what um, athletics has given me and the military, it just seemed like a very natural uh, uh, avenue for me to go on because uh, I I feel like I could speak to both. And, um, and so, yeah, so, uh, that's how I uh, ended up on RWD. Um, and then triathlon was a, was a huge part of RWB for a number of years. I don't think it is so much now, but, um, like the very first camp they ever had was a tri camp and it was in Austin. And of course, uh, you know, at that point we had to like seek out people to come to this tri camp. Like now, like everyone signing up everywhere. It wasn't like that in the beginning. Like we couldn't get participants. <laughs> that's one thing I've noticed. Like it seems like triathlon is kind of like booming. It, oh, a lot, for so sure. many pe- yeah. So many people that I know I grew up with are doing it now, and it's crazy. And not crazy, but it's just really, it's really neat. You know, it doesn't seem like a craze. It seems like, hey, you know what? This is like the next level people are taking themselves to. Right, and I think that that was marathon a number of years ago. And I think that mm-hmm. people are probably trying to uh, push the ceiling a little bit. And it, it almost seems like people know, can do it. They, they have this realization and they're trimming some of the Ironmans down. Well, not the Ironman, the triathlons down to where, you know, people could do it to get their feet wet, to know what it's about and then kind of pursue it even more, which is, I think is awesome. I, I agree. I think that, Kind of like I was talking about uh, the military had can be intimidating if you don't really know much about it. Uh, I think that that can kind of be said about triathlon. Like, I think that on the surface, it seems daunting and it seems intimidating. And and so I think that the, 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 the larger the sport grows, the more um, the more exposure people have to it. Um, it, it's, it seems more accessible and doable. No, I agree. It's, it's incredible. And I'm, I'm glad there's, there's mentors like you out there now that's, that are doing it. You're sharing your experiences. 
Well, I hope I can do that for people. You're doing it right now. Okay. <laughs> now, um, what was I going to say? I have a barking dog in the background. That's what happens when you, you do your podcast out of the house. Welcome but, to my life. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I'll have a kid or a baby here yelling soon. So let's let's end the conversation and uh, tell us how we can contact you. Do you have a blog or? Uh, I do. I do. My uh, website is, oh my gosh, this is so bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you can't figure it out. I'll, you know, why don't we do this? No, I'll, you know, okay. It, so, I'll post it for you. <laughs> yes, it's jeffjonesmyers.com. Uh, and that links me to, to my email. Um, and then also, I'm super accessible via Instagram and Twitter. Like if you send me a direct message... I'm uh, Jeff Jones. My handle is at Jeff Jones Tried. Um, and uh, I, I really like to, I like to interact with, with, um, with people and answer questions. And, you know, I joke or I used to joke, I was on RWB's podcast or maybe it was someone else. I don't remember, but I was talking about, you know, I do get a, creep, a few creepers in there every now and then. So, <laughs> So don't be creepy, you know. No, nah, no creepy. That's what I hear a lot about that on LinkedIn and all. I'm like, you know, oh, I know. Stop, stop, stop trying to slide into people's DMs. I think that's yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. So what's the next step for you? Where are you going to go? Are you have any? You have any races you're preparing for? Or are you going to uh, well, any business so, ventures you want to promote? So uh, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm a part of so uh, on my website you'll see that a big part of uh, of what I'm doing is coaching. I'm part of the Vantage Point Endurance, and um, so it's a it's a coaching group. Actually, original they're out of Houston, but it's just kind of through through some other um, contacts that I ended up with them. But so coaching is a huge part of what I'm doing now. I am training. I'm doing quite a bit of bike racing this spring and summer, and uh, and it uh, looks like I'll probably plan to do a late-season Ironman this year. Um, I've had some, uh, you know, Frankie, uh, my youngest, is just turned a year. So uh, so I'm, I'm kind of in that getting back at it. Um, and this has been a ne- much easier than with the twins, but uh, – Still, you know, training for Ironman is is a arduous task. So I, I, you know, I I wanted to focus on baby time for a little while, and I'm 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 back in the swing of things. Uh, so hopefully, I can build to that uh, Ironman distance by by late fall. Very cool. Well, I am very honored to have you on the show. I'm honored and, uh, to be here. I'll definitely be posting links to your training and everything and, and how you can people can sign up to be get coached by you. That's great. Yeah, I'm also on Strava as the same. And the only reason I mentioned that is because I was kind of, it wasn't that I was anti Strava, but let's be honest, I just didn't even know how to upload my data. <laughs> <laughs> so I do it now and I think that's fun. And I think it gives a kind of an honest approach to, to what training looks like with kids and and running a, a business so yeah so you can follow me there too okay awesome thank you so much well thanks for having me